Hello and welcome to the Faith and Science Podcast. My name is Tyler Publitz and welcome to the end of Lent and welcome to Easter. Welcome to the resurrection of our Lord. Welcome to the week of April 1st, 2018. And this is no fool. We have the resurrection of our Lord on April Fool's Day. I'm so glad to have you here. I am excited to get into this week. As I mentioned last week, I just got back from a trip to Nebraska and got to see the migration. Absolutely incredible. And I will actually be talking about it a little bit later in the podcast uh, because there's some interesting correlations I really want to bring in from stuff I was seeing down there and kind of bring that into this week's text. I'm really excited about this. I am super excited to have you listening and tuning in. And I'd love to hear your feedback and hearing how this podcast is helping you. How is this podcast moving forward your leadership in the church? I am really excited to hear that. As I've talked about last week, if you haven't checked out last week's, first and foremost, I'd highly recommend checking into that one from last week. There's a lot of things that kind of carry over from last week that are going to be coming into this week, so they kind of tie together. So I definitely recommend checking that out. The second thing I'd also say is I just think it's incredible that we're going through this and we get to actually really think about and reflect with Holy Week. I am a big proponent of of Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, and Easter because I think it really does help set the mood, set this whole thing up. And I'm really excited to dig into this, talking about different how I see this working together with science actually very, very well. But before we get into that, I want to do my shameless plug for Working Preacher. If you are struggling and having a difficult time Working through all these texts, working through how am I going to preach this much or how am I going to teach my Sunday school students all this different stuff, I would definitely recommend checking out Working Preacher. There's a lot of great resources there from articles to commentaries on all the readings for each week. Especially this week, they have tons of stuff because you have Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, Holy Saturday, and the Resurrection. Plenty of stuff there, plus the Sermon Brainways podcast, which is incredible. I use it because I'm not an ordained minister and it gives me a lot of direction on kind of where to go with this podcast. So if you haven't checked it out, I'd highly recommend checking it out. Now, my little side note that I am going to say is when we're going through the text this week, I'm going to focus on the stuff for Easter Sunday because there's enough other stuff going on. We're going to kind of reference back to some of the different things from Monday, Thursday, and Good Friday, and, and Holy Saturday, Vigil Saturday, I would highly recommend, if you have the opportunity, reading through those texts. It's There's a lot of really good stuff there. And as we kind of get into further in the podcast, I'm kind of going to explain why there's some importance in kind of some of this different stuff, for especially for this week. So the gospel text will either be John chapter 20 verses 1 through 18 or Mark chapter 16 verses 1 through 8. And there's some key differences in these. And I was actually very pleasantly surprised because I don't get to read John's gospel on this very often. But you have Mary Magdalene coming to the tomb, noticing Jesus is not there, and goes immediately and goes and tells Simon Peter and another disciple doesn't ever say who this other disciple is. 
and kind of go in the tomb. Simon Peter then has to see it for himself type of thing. And he runs away after realizing that Jesus is there and return to their home. You know, kind of kind of leaves it a little bit ominous. And Mary then is weeping at the tomb. And that's when Jesus comes and talks to her. And, and then she goes and tells the other disciples that she has seen the Lord. So it's a little bit different, very unique text with that. The Mark text is a little bit more traditional. Again, like we've kind of discussed with Mark before, very kind of few details. Tries to get right to the point. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, are going to, again, kind of prepare Jesus for final burial And they notice that he's not there, that an angel is there telling them to go and tell the other disciples that he is risen and to not be afraid. So very straightforward, interesting things that I think we'll get into. There's some unique things that are discussed there. The other thing that I will state before we move on here with the readings, the other really unique thing is our first and second readings are both from the New Testament. And I will get into that a little bit more here in a little bit. But our first reading then is from Acts chapter 10 verses 34 through 43. And this is where Peter then is kind of resummarizing kind of what did Jesus do and what does this mean? Because now this is after the resurrection. This is after all this, as you know, some of this is set in and that they've received the Holy Spirit and that they need to then go like Jesus and share the message with the people around them. You have Psalm, Psalms 118 verses 1 through 2 and 14 through 24. And it's a very joyful Psalm, very the Psalm of thanking the Lord. I really would say that again, that we get these cool lines that we're so familiar with. The stone that the builders rejected became the chief cornerstone, verse 22. So this resurrection type of psalm, very, very cool. The second reading will either be from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 11, or Colossians 3, verses 1 through 4. Colossians 3, 1 through 4 is just a very... Very short and sweet to the point that to keep your eyes fixed on things above. That Christ has come, he has been here, he's revealed his glory, now keep your focus on that. Where you have in the 1 Corinthians reading, very similar type of thing, but again kind of more encompassing of what has all gone on. Now, I would like to remind you, brothers and sisters, of the good news that I proclaimed to you, which you in turn received, in which you also stand. This this kind of reminder of what Jesus has done for us. And I think it's it's a super this is this is the big thing. This is the big holiday. We need to be thinking about it and looking at it that way. And when I started contemplating and thinking about how am I going to discuss this, there's a lot of different ways in which I can go through it. And I'm going to look at it in a couple folds. There's a couple different ways I'm going to look at it. First and foremost, from the super scientific way, I'm going to look at it from the aspect of this shouldn't have happened. 
if I, he makes the impossible possible, what I said last week in the podcast. And when you look at it, I would say if you're eating lunch, you might want to pause the podcast here because this is going to get a little bit queasy to the stomach. But when we die, there your body kind of goes through this process of returning us back to dust and the process of us decomposing. And when I was looking up, okay, three days, where are we at in that composition phase? You are, let's just, to put it lightly, you're not in good shape uh, on the inside. You Pretty much your major organs are all gone. You've just become kind of a soup and you're trying to figure out ways to release these gases that you're, these bacteria are making uh, as they're decomposing your body. So really the only thing that's arguably living is the bacteria that was in your gut kind of eating you from the inside out. And I know that's not a very pleasant image to think about, but I think it even makes kind of what Jesus is doing even all the more powerful in a in a really big way because we have also the history of in the Jewish tradition that after three days, the soul would leave the body and that's why their funerals are typically a three-day process because the soul was still around. And so as we're going through this and contemplating, this is literally impossible biologically. He makes, he literally made the impossible possible. This is not possible. You can't go and resurrect somebody three days later. This should not be possible with our current understanding of biology, period. So that's one thought. The second thought, as I was kind of thinking ahead, actually, early on in Lent, and I was kind of thinking about how the heck do I think about Easter in a scientific context? You know, there's the basic, like, a tree looks dead and then comes back to life, but you know, in the spring, and it's like, eh, I think there's something better. And as I started thinking about it, I started thinking about the scientific method. And if you remember back to school where you come up with kind of an idea of something you're wanting to test, you come up with a hypothesis, you then from that hypothesis run the test, and then you interpret the results and see if it supports your hypothesis or not. And if you look at most scientific papers, they're written in a very similar way. And that's where I would start to argue that the Bible is a big scientific paper. And I thought it was just an interesting thing to kind of think about, and especially as you're probably listening to this still during Holy Week, and just just stay with me here for a moment and think about it. So you have the title, which in this case would be the Bible. The abstract, which we'll get back into at the end, and I'll explain why. You have the introduction. The introduction, in my case, is most of the Old Testament. We get the aspect of who God's character is, what are the claims and promises of what is coming, and we're kind of building off of that. The method, I would argue, is Jesus' beginning of his ministry. We Again, we kind of get into who Jesus is. So it's kind of then, what, who is Jesus? How does that match with our stuff from our introduction and the character of Jesus and the history behind what has been going on? And kind of then getting into the method of Holy Week and what is going on. 
And I think that kind of flows into the results section. Holy Week, I think, could either be on either side of the method section, that it's either part of the method to the madness of what is going on with Jesus, or you say that's part of the results. The results of his ministry led to this, and that we find as after he dies, we have this resurrection. And what does that mean? Which leads into the discussion part of the paper, which I would say is pretty much after the Gospels, the rest of the New Testament. This discussion of what does this mean? How does this change how we think about and look at God? We've had, and then if you go back to when Jesus is talking about this, and I think part of it to me also, it's it's easy to almost see it as an experiment within an experiment because I feel like during this, as Jesus is explaining the character of God and we're not understanding it, he kind of ups the stakes. He is saying that he's going to resurrect from the dead. Like he's running this old, you know, this test within itself saying, yep, and I'm, I'm not only going to show you that I'm the son of God, but I am going to fully prove to you that I am the son of God. And then the literature cited section, which really would be the authors, I guess. The section I kind of skipped over was the abstract. And what the abstract is in a paper, a scientific paper, is explaining kind of a brief summary of what this all is. And that's what this paper is about. And that's where I would argue that as a church, as a church community, as Christians, we're in the discussion and abstract phase of the paper. And the aspect that the abstract is usually written at the end as you're resummarizing the paper. And the discussion, if you think about what we're going through with the rest of the scriptures, we're kind of then, how does what does this mean? How do we live this out? What does this all do? And as that, I would say then, as we're going through that and figuring that out, we're then going to the abstract and kind of writing out, What does this mean? How should we be interpreting this? How should we be handling this type of thing? And so it's another way, I think, of looking at scripture that it's essentially a big scientific paper, a big scientific paper, the hypothesis that God lays out and would be in our method section, you know, an introduction as we get into this is proven successful, that Christ is exactly who he says he is. And if you, especially if you want to look at like John's text in, you know, John's gospel going through this, that's kind of how he's writing this is kind of a, um, you know, as an evidence for Christ. And I think there's times where we get kind of, we, we, we're trying to separate these and especially in a world where we're, we're trying to be so much more scientific with everything. It may be just thinking about the text in a little bit of a scientific context. I'd love to know your thoughts on what you think of that, but with something that kind of occurred to me. But, you know, as we're kind of going through this, we have, you know, going through the Holy Week that we have a lot of references back to the Old Testament, kind of reinforcing this idea that this is what Christ, this is what God kind of was laying in front of us, you know, kind of providing some of those that discussion where we'd be kind of referencing back and saying, you know, this is what we saw Jesus do, and this totally relates to what was discussed in the Old Testament with this. And that we have, you know, and that's where 
that's why it's so important with having Monday, Thursday, and Good Friday, because a lot of these were, were referencing back to the exile in Egypt. We're referencing back to Isaiah and some of the prophecies there. We're, we're trying to show how the whole book works together here. We're trying to show how our church history is a complete history and how this all does work together. This is all the same thing. This is all what was prophesied and then came to be. It's the experiment. What was said as the hypothesis actually happened and probably did more than what we originally expected. The correlation is very, very strong. And I think that's something where we then need to convey this as leaders of the church in the church and in the community as a whole. And let me kind of explain that. So as I as I mentioned last week, I, I took a trip to Nebraska and went and saw the Sandhill Crane migration and got to see some snow geese with the back end of their migration also, which was super cool. Highly recommend if you ever get the opportunity. We were down in Kearney, Nebraska, which is the Sandhill capital of the world. To give you reference, Sandhill Cranes, kind of as we've talked about before, they migrate. Uh, so in the their wintering grounds are kind of down by Texas, um, Mexico, along the southern U.S.-Mexico border. And as they kind of start their migration north, 80% of the world's population of Sandhill Cranes runs through this 70-mile stretch in Nebraska on the Platte River. And actually, while I was down there, they had had a plane survey up at night. It's the only way you can get a survey of roughly how many birds there are. They said it was probably a record this year of 500,000 sandhill cranes migrating through this area in um, Kearney, Nebraska, which it was absolutely incredible. And I'll link us, uh, hopefully, a soundtrack here of some, I did some audio recording for you guys to try to just to give you an idea of feel for this waterfall of sound that these birds make. It's incredible, isn't it? Absolutely incredible. And they just come from all over. It felt like God was just, you know, you think you see all the cranes. Here comes another 50. Here comes another 50. Here comes another 50. And as we're watching sunset and I turn and look behind me to the east and just see them just coming and coming and coming and coming. And, And you think of it almost like a big party. It was absolutely incredible. And, you know, seeing snow geese was absolutely incredible, but easily one of the biggest highlights of the whole trip was something I did not expect. When I was there on, on day two, we there was an Audubon Center, and when I was there, the there was, we walked, you know, we were kind of going through the gift shop, kind of seeing what we could see out their windows, and they had a camera out further down the river, and there was a whooping crane within the group of sandhills now if you weren't part of the podcast or haven't listened back to that one it was the second podcast i did talking about sandhills and whooping cranes and just to give you perspective whooping cranes it's easy to estimate that there's under 1500 left in the world and that's a major recovery effort to get to that point when they were 
under triple digits, so probably between somewhere between 16 to 50 in the 30s and 40s. And so it's like, oh, that's so cool. We'll have to just kind of keep an eye out. But, you know, we'll see if we see one closer. I highly doubt it. But I was just happy to see one on a, on a camera, you know. And it was incredible. And, you know, we were hiking around, taking pictures of all these sandhill cranes. And the next day, we went to Sunrise. And we're out there. I'm getting an audio recording. My dad's over taking pictures. And my mom comes over and he says, Tyler, they think there's a whooping crane out there. What? So I pack up my audio gear and go and grab my camera and let's go and see if I can take pictures of it. And, you know, I'm looking, I'm not seeing it. And so finally my mom's like, go over to this person and ask them about it. And so I look through their spotting scope and there it is. There's this whooping crane. And it's like, once I saw it, it was like, boom, there it is. I can see it. And it, we sat there for over an hour watching this whooping crane in the golden hour of sunlight strutting back and forth. And finally, when it took off, I'll probably get through editing the photos next week, but it was incredible. The thing is just to give you perspective, a regular sandhill crane is three to four feet tall. These are five feet tall. The wingspan of a sandhill crane is like six feet. These are seven to eight feet. They're huge. And they circled right in front of us as it was flying by with the sandhills, the one single whooping crane. And it's one of the few times I've ever felt like applauding nature. I was, I was in awe. And as I was kind of rethinking about this, I think about this as this is us. This is our story too. What I mean by this is when I went down there, there was no thought in my mind that I was going to see a whooping crane probably one of 500 that will migrate through that area and it, that they're the original native population that have nothing to do with Operation Migration. This is the wild population. That's like the person without hearing the word. When I then got down there and saw a whooping crane, it was like me being introduced to the word. And then when I got to actually see one up close and photograph... It was then the awe-inspiring actually being able to see it and me understanding the word. And me understanding suddenly why this was so important to conserve. Why this was so uncool to see. This is what this message is to us. We have to be sharing this word. Because that's where I see these New Testament readings leading to. This is not stagnant. This is not, okay, Jesus resurrects from the dead. Yay. No, this changes everything. This supports what God says. This shows the evidence that this is the Son of Man. This is the Son of God. He did this to show his love for you. All this crazy stuff that he has been saying earlier in the Gospels has been now shown as true. This is his statement of, I am who I say I am. And this should change us. You know, and one of the other things I was thinking about with being down there for the Sandhill Crane migration, and it's something I think as a church we need to keep thinking about. 
the Sandhills meet in Kearney, Nebraska to put on weight because of how much they're flying. You know, as a reminder, Sandhills then are going from Mexico, Texas area, flying up to Kearney, Nebraska, fueling up. And their end destination is the Arctic Circle, Russia, Siberia. That's where they're going. That's their end destination. We need to use Sunday as a fueling spot. But Sunday with Easter and the resurrection is not the end destination. This now means that we need to go out and share this good news. We need to show love to one another. We need to do this. And as I look around and see the world as where we're at, we definitely need to be doing this. Not just conservation, but even with ourselves. This is a message that should be changing us. This is a message that of life, of renewal. And as people here in the Northern Hemisphere are getting excited for spring and summer, as we have some of our last snowfalls, remember the new life that Christ has laid in front of you. And what does that mean? What does that new life mean to you? How are you going to show that new life to others? And again, I just want to thank you for tuning into this podcast. I'd love to hear feedback. I thrive off of feedback. And as I've also stated, we have some big plans. I'd love to hear your thoughts, concerns, different ideas with where do you think this should go? Is there things that you're wanting to hear? Are there things you're concerned about with the podcast? I would love to hear them. Just shoot me an email. Just shoot me an email. I'd love to hear what you have to say. But, hallelujah, Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. I pray God blesses you through your faith and amazes you through science.